I love that track. Uh, Johnny's Got a Girlfriend's the name of that track, and it is our track specially made for this radio show, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. You are listening in on our Thursday weekly podcast, which we added a few weeks ago since this COVID lockdown, and it doesn't look like our state is going to open up fully anytime soon. Fortunately, our county did open up, so... I finally got the opportunity to go out to dinner with my wife in this wonderful state of Washington. But I am headed to Idaho again today because Idaho does seem to be a little bit more liberty-loving when it comes to the lockdown of the coronavirus. So I've been spending a lot of time in Idaho lately. And actually, Oregon has even opened up more than our state of Washington. So I'll be spending some more time in Oregon next week and expanding um, territory, our territory and in our pharmacy at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy into into Oregon. So um, about that track, my good friend Lee Pence recorded that track and um, go to LeePence.net or Guitarscape. Um, um, he, he is a professional musician and can do great recordings. He has a great recording studio. So I love every time I hear that song, I, I think of my good friend, talked to him this morning. So, um, anyway, so you are listening to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where we discuss everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer today, Lindsay. She is, um, working through all the behind the scenes stuff, which a lot goes on to produce this podcast, um, slash radio show. So today, we have James um, Dunavant from the Free Market Medical Association. James is actually in Oklahoma, and we've had him on our radio show before. He was like our fourth or fifth guest, I believe. I think fifth guest. Um, Super exciting. Glad to have him back. Um, I will go ahead and introduce kind of let him introduce himself but i will tell you he's a director of the free market medical association and james tell us a little bit about what the free market medical association is yeah the free market medical association is an education and advocacy group that started about 2014 by dr keith smith who is the co-founder of the surgery center of oklahoma and a business man who is a an independent third-party administrator by the name of Jay Kempton. And they, they started the Free Market Medical Association really as an outreach mission for what they were doing here in Oklahoma City to advance free market healthcare solutions. And um, what, what, like, is there national membership? Is there um, state chapters? How, how does that work? Yeah, uh, we currently have about 350 members all over the country, 24 state, well, local chapters. Some states have more. Texas has three or four, and Oklahoma has a couple. So some states have more than one, but we do have chapters all over the country as this has grown to physician-owned surgery centers all over the country, direct primary care practices that are now in excess of a 1,000 practices all over the country, self-insured employers that are direct contracting with uh, those individuals and facilities. Well, I will tell you, I had the opportunity to go to uh, a chapter meeting in Oklahoma back in January, and it was so, so refreshing to be around like-minded people in the medical system. It seems like the, you know, at our at our pharmacy at Mosley Lake Professional Pharmacy, we haven't been billing insurance since 2002, so we've kind of been some renegades a little bit when we stopped billing insurance, um, because uh, we just didn't believe that the patients got the best the best service at the best price that way, and 
and and we there was a lot of we there's a lot of people that thought we were crazy and it was so refreshing to go to the free market medical association you know almost 20 years later and see like-minded people around us so i'm um, thank you for that invite james and um I, I got to meet so many people and one of the things i did I, I was surprised, but not surprised, is how many people across the country are going into, how many physicians across the country are going into direct primary care, which um, I'll let you explain a little bit of that. But from, any, from small towns to big towns, it's working everywhere across the nation. So tell us a little bit about direct primary care. Yeah, well, direct primary care is really a new, relatively new model of of healthcare that allows a, a, an independent physician to create like a membership model for payment so they don't have to take insurance. We say this is new, but it's really more of a throwback to the old days in, in a lot of ways where all most all physicians were, well, definitely all physicians were cash pay and they would be paid by their patients in possibly eggs or chickens or, or whatever right. was uh, agreed upon between the buyer and the seller, just like anything else in, in society. So until the insurance uh, model took over, that was really how things were done. So, you know, over the last several years, we've seen a lot of physicians think more about retiring. We hear about physician burnout because physicians are spending so much of their time on administrative tasks that they frankly are just have had enough of the current system. So more and more primary care physicians have decided to adopt this direct primary care or direct care concierge. It's really started out, they called it concierge medicine, um, but the goal is really to limit the number of patients that you see in a day as well and allows the physician to spend more time with their patient uh, because you know the insurance and Medicare model, just the goal is to uh, see as many patients as possible so you can you know, bill them. Most, most primary care physicians would have three or 4,000, maybe 5,000 patients, whereas the direct primary care model allows a physician to be more entrepreneurial, spend more time with their patients, open access to them to do more telemedicine and Skype and texting so they can bypass a lot of the regulations by not being part of the insurance model. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I know in our pharmacy, we work with a lot of those um, direct primary care um, offices, and it's just amazing the care the patients get the time, the time, and then how affordable it is. It's really, really affordable. And people are really surprised to understand how affordable it really is. And I mean, fees are anywhere from 50 to $100 a month, depending on what you get and, and the age of a patient. But it's very, very affordable. And that usually includes unlimited visits. So we've had a couple different episodes on our podcast slash radio show with direct primary care um, providers on there and go back and look at some of those shows. You can find out more about it. Um, and really the insurance model is really, you know, we think about it being the norm, but you know, if you go back just, uh, uh to our radio show a couple weeks ago, we had Corey Little on and he talked about a doctor in Atlanta, not in Atlanta, but in Georgia that changed his life. Um, she was a 94 year old physician and 30 years ago when he was in middle, middle school, she changed his life by, by talking to him about changing his diet. 
And the interesting, one of the most interesting things I thought was that um, the payment was $5, a $5 bill. And he said that she had a, a drawer of $5 bills in her, in, in her office because that's what people paid her. And it's amazing that now a typical office visit in the traditional insurance model is like $300. And inflation has not, you know, that does not, um, you know, correlate with inflation. So, um, you know, it's amazing what insurance has done to make things so much more expensive. And this is all in my book. If you guys um, go to Amazon and my book called Sicken, how the, how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty recent phenomenon. It's, it's happened over the last 70 years really that has really where the government has ruined healthcare by, by the insurance model and go in there and look at, there's a six step solution also. And of course, um, people are part of that. Individual patients are part of that. So, so James, let's get back to on, uh, in the free market during this COVID lockdown. Tell me how you think the free market physicians could have helped this pandemic better than the government could have. Well, I think what I've seen from this pandemic is that not only healthcare, but so many sectors of our society are highly controlled and regulated by the government. So in a free market, when people are free to make their own decisions and they're not um, told exactly what to do by a central planner, then you have lots of information and you can, and you can respond to that information very quickly. Unfortunately, when you have a central planning organization that tells everyone exactly what to do, you only have, you have a one size fits all model that you have no idea if it's really effective or not until late, until much later. Sometimes as we saw with this COVID-19 situation, we had one or two organizations that were putting out statistical models saying that, you know, 2.5 million people would die in the United States. Well, we automatically trusted that as gospel and most, and, and we saw that care in the United States is so centralized, despite, you know, all the great work that we've done with the Free Market Medical Association, most hospitals, the big hospitals had to respond to that because they are receiving government money. So they, and their licenses can be taken away, obviously, if, if they don't follow the rules. So I think in a free market, just like you see with businesses opening up in different states, we've, we've seen that we've had some businesses defect from what the, the state governor has told them to do. So in a free market, I think some hospitals would have every, every, every hospital would have, or doctor's office would have come up possibly with some nuanced solution that, you know, they would, they would rely on experts as much as possible, but they would also uh, mitigate that with in their own way and we would have we would have received feedback from the marketplace very quickly on what was working and what wasn't working and then you know different hospitals could could make changes i think we saw we saw from this also that it was just very difficult for us to get information about how the disease was being spread we were getting some a different uh, report on a daily basis. So there's so much conflicting information coming down that we really, uh, it, it was hard to know what to believe at some point. 
And so I think the, the free market would have allowed more um, diversity of, of uh, response. And then we would very quickly see what response made the most sense and more people would follow that. Well, yeah, I think one thing that we can take away from this too is that, you know, when you look at this and it looks, it looks like things are winding down depending on who you believe, but it sure does look that, look that way. Um, you know, really, there was really only three or four places across the nation where there was, you know, kind of an epidemic locally. Um, you know, there was some in Washington state, there was some in, in New York, for instance. And, you know, I, you know, speaking of the free market, you know, and individuals making those decisions, if, if, if it wasn't coming from the top down, whether it be a central planner like the federal government or the state government, um, maybe those hospitals could have just locked down or those local cities instead of, you know, destroying a whole state. Is that kind of what you're, what you're thinking? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, we would have seen, I think, we didn't find out until just the last uh, month or so, maybe in the, even the last couple of weeks, the extent to which nursing homes were affected by this. And so why is that? Why did we not hear about that information? I would say that in large part, it's because uh, most nursing homes are not operating in the free market and they were receiving their marching orders from some sort of uh, central planner or the, you know, the state governors were ordering, a lot of the governors were ordering uh, COVID-19 patients to go to those, those centers. So I think in a free market, a business person does not want uh, p- their customers or they, their patients to, to die. I mean, that, that information would, would be disseminated very quickly to the public in such a way that, people would then respond, well, I don't want to go to that restaurant necessarily, you know, and there would be a natural um, mitigation process in the free market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, You know, and I think that's one thing that we always talk about why we need government intervention and especially in healthcare, because, you know, um, people say, well, you know, if there's a bad hospital out there or, you know, we want to make sure the government protects us from bad hospitals or bad nursing homes or bad doctors. But the reality of it is in a free market, if there's a bad doctor out there, the, you know, I know this sounds horrible, but they're not going to kill very many patients. And I don't think most doctors want to do that. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but not very many patients are going to die and it's going to get around that that doctor's a bad doctor. So we, we think that the government protects us with these licenses, but in reality, you can make an argument that sometimes, you know, those bad doctors get licenses and they're allowed to harm more patients. And, and there's some government, there's some government organizations like that. Yeah. What ends up happening is the government becomes more of a protector of the establishment of the big you know, corporate model. And, you know, just as we, we see that a few large corporations own most of the media, the television stations and newspapers in this country, we now see that, or now it's more obvious that a handful of large corporations control the um, meatpacking plants around the country. So we're seeing the supply, the supply chain problems across the board, not just in healthcare. We're seeing that this COVID-19 pandemic has unmasked the fact that 
all of our economy, most of our economy is so regulated that it's the, those regulations create this, these uh, cartels that we talk about in healthcare, the monopoly or, or quasi monopolies that, that go on because the more regulations that you make, the more opportunity for consolidation and the big guys always are going to be able to the regulations more than the small business owner or the independent physician. Right. A perfect example is big pharma. Um, the FDA has just created monopolies in the drug in the, with drug companies because small companies can't compete because they don't have a billion dollars to put a, to put a drug to market. Whereas, you know, a big company does have that kind of money so they can pay off the FDA um, to get a drug to market. And, you know, in my opinion, what really happens is there's, you know, the FDA puts their stamp on a drug that may not be the best drug, but the drug company was just able to pay for those trials. And then in reality, if it was a small company in a free market, um, a few people at a time would take that drug and maybe get side effects from it. Whereas when the FDA puts their stamp on it, millions of people get the drug before we know there's a problem. Yeah. Well, that seems to be the, the, um, modus operandi, I guess you would say, is that all great innovations come from entrepreneurs and from the ground up in a decentralized way, but that some point in the process, and the government is always involved in, in making this happen, the only way for you know, anyone to then become the, the solution would be for the government to back that. So the, the CDC, the FDA, some organization that has the control and power of the state is going to have to say, this is the only solution for COVID-19 that you're allowed to have and not have just a marketplace of ideas, a marketplace of, of, of solutions. Me personally, I might think that I want to focus on my immune health and check my vitamin D levels and, and make sure that I'm, you know, getting the proper nutrition. Whereas, you know, that doesn't make a lot of money for big pharma. No. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And when, when in reality, we, we realize when we look at the data and the numbers now, the, I mean, the most important part, and we, and, and it should have been obvious from the get go, but the most important part of, of, you know, pre preventing any kind of transmission or any kind of infection from a virus is to have a healthy immune system in the first place. So, and that's why it was so rampant in nursing homes because they're elderly and they're immunocompromised a lot of times and they have multiple comorbidities. So that's why mm -hmm. we see so many problems in the nursing home. So you mentioned about um, government payments to some of these big clinics and big hospitals. So I've noticed that you know, some of the big clinics and some of the big hospitals, they seem to be on the side of keeping things locked down. We need to keep it locked down. We can't open up yet. Yet their clinics and hospitals are being decimated. Um, they're ghost towns. So can you explain a little bit about, about, about the payment from government sources and why they might be doing this? Well, <clears throat> most of the big hospital systems, you really, it's hard to, to feel sorry for them in this situation. I, I definitely um, sympathize with the 1.4 million healthcare workers that apparently are, are, have been furloughed and many of them 
will possibly be permanently laid off as a result of this. But most of, most of the big hospital systems are sitting on millions and sometimes billions of dollars in cash because they pay no taxes to the federal government. They get all kinds of subsidies and they are incentivized by the system to sit on these massive investments. Uh, there was one, uh, Innova Health System has $3.1 billion in investments. And most of the big hospital systems out there, um, if you look according to um, Moody's Investor Services, most of these big hospitals ha have enough cash on hand to sustain themselves without a dime of revenue for more than a year. So the just like in, a big business can sit and wait for their small, small entrepreneurial competitor to go out of business, there, it, there certainly it could be a case made that these guys are very much uh, hoping or at least see the handwriting on the wall that there might be an opportunity to gobble up some of the small independent practices out there, just like they've done over the past several years. Yeah, I was going to say that's really been their what they've been doing for the last, you know, five years or so is, uh, you know, there's not a lot of independent positions left because the hospitals of all the hospitals or some big clinic group have really, um, you know, gobbled them all up. So there's not a lot of independent, uh, independent physicians around anymore. And, and I think in reality, what really happens too is I think it plays into the government hand because, you know, um, I know in this state, there's there's one big hospital group that's buying all the hospitals and big clinics. And um, and in reality, it makes it really easy for the government because instead of having to control, you know, 5,000 physicians, they just got to control three or four hospital systems. And, you know, it really is about that because when you look at, in my opinion, because when you look at that, most of those big clinics and most of those big hospital systems, 70% of their payment is from some kind of government resource, either state or federal resource. So, of course, they've got to they've got to comply with these regulations or they go under. Yeah. And I th think the other thing for me that this has kind of revealed is that, um, you know, they're they're saying, which is true, that they've lost you know, these big hospital systems are losing billions of dollars just in the you know first quarter or in the spring because of COVID-19. And they are admitting that the reason why that happened is because the, quote, non-essential um, procedures were banned in most, most states. So if 80% of procedures at these hospitals were deemed, quote, non-essential services, then my response is, you've just admitted to me that all of the, at least 80% of your services could have been shoppable if, if they're not essential, right? <laughs> Which is what we've been right. saying for the last several years with the FMMA and we're constantly told, no, no, I'm sorry. You know, 80, there's no way that 80% of, of our services could be, could have a price in advance, but I would say we need to push extra hard on these guys now to say that um, that's not the case and we need to be, have more transparency than ever now. And they're, frankly, they're going to have to, I feel like the big hospitals need to adopt price transparency even more now than ever because their demand has been stripped from them 
because of this COVID-19 crisis. Not only were, I mean, even as these non-essential procedures are now allowed as they're coming back, I think maybe 12 or 13 states are still not allowing these, you know, non-essential procedures. Uh, But as they're coming back, I mean, it's going to take a while for people to think, I'm, I, I'm going to go and risk, you know, getting uh, exposed to some virus in a big hospital just to get my hernia repaired. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. I think it is time for transparency. I think there's so many consumers that, you know, I, even people that work for hospitals, I think, understand you know, the scam and the ripoff with the pricing inside a traditional hospital, Um, you know, and uh, quite often, you know, I use, I've used Dr. Smith from the Oklahoma Surgery Center, from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, so many comparisons, and and a lot of times it's 10 to 1. I mean, you can go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma for $4,000, or you can go to a local hospital in Georgia for $40,000. And, and those consumers just need to know those things and they need to, you know, they need to start calling hospitals out. So I think um, our, our, our listeners and viewers know a little bit about my son's story. About a week, two weeks ago, he broke his leg and, um, and, and the care was good. He got from the ambulance ride to, to recovery and to discharge. Everything went really, really smooth. Um, wasn't really surprised or happy. I wasn't surprised, and but I wasn't happy about the bill. Um, and of course, we're fighting it a little bit. Um, but the bill was $41,000 almost. The same procedure at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma was 6375 And there is no reason for it to be almost, what is that? Is that eight times more, nine times more? There's no reason for that. And so I'm working with the hospital now. I'm getting an itemized bill. Um, realize, you know, listeners and viewers that you, you know, you're in charge of that. Um, you know, make sure you get an itemized bill. Make sure you ask them to give you a cash discount um, before, before you pay the bill. There is no fire also. You do not have to pay something right away. Insurance companies don't. So, so realize that. And there are a lot of models out there. If you go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, they have all kinds of surgeries on there that, like James was talking about, it's shoppable. So ask your local hospital before you go to have a surgery. Even if it is, even if you have insurance, don't, don't just think that one of the problems is that we wash our hands of it as consumers and we think, oh, well, our insurance covers it. Well, the problem with that is, is then the hospitals can just keep charging what they want. And, and realize that your insurance company doesn't pay the full bill. So you as a patient should not pay the full bill. You should get some kind of discount. So we are taking callers. If you guys have any questions for James, he's a great resource, the Free Market Medical Association, 509-537-0411. So James, what is the future of this pandemic and what do you think will happen with free market medicine because of this pandemic? Well, I guess as as I alluded to, I think I think there's a lot of opportunity for physicians that have seen the amount of control that they've been under. I, I think a lot of physicians I, I've actually know some that really that knew early on that most of these deaths were happening in nursing care facilities and they really couldn't come out and say that because they were owned. They had an employer over them that was 
possibly threatening them or, or at least uh, subtly threatening them saying, okay, you can't say anything about this. We, so I think, I think there are more physicians that hopefully will uh, decide to go uh, independent and start their own surgery centers. The reality is there's going to be a lot of push for more government control. There's going to be massive uh, calls for massive bailouts and most of those, that money is going to go to the big hospital systems, just like it goes to the airline industry. You know, like you were saying, you get a few, when the, the government control a few, can control better a few major uh, corporations, like in the, in the um, whether it's the, the food supply industry or the airline industry, and then once it gets to that point, they can always make the case that those, those industries or those companies are too big to fail. One thing that I noticed in all this is that, you know, the Donald Trump could get, could have a, a little meeting and meet with the quote leaders of a p- particular industry. I can meet, he can meet with the hospital, the leaders of the, you know, the major hospitals. If you can do that, if you can sit down in a room and meet with a few people and talk about these things, then, there's way too much control in the hands of just a few people. So no doubt, you know, they've already had a a number of bailouts, but we can pretty much guarantee that all these big hospital systems are taking, making notes of how much money they have quote lost during this COVID-19. So that's another reason why they don't necessarily care or possibly that they don't care is that they think that they're the big guys realize and think that they're going to get some kind of massive bailout out of this. And that will not just like in the, in the other businesses, the small business owner is going to be pushed out and the big, the big uh, corporate guys are going to uh, reap most of the benefits, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think you could just see this from, from the beginning, how the big clinics and big hospitals just seem to be, you know, more on the side of locking down and they realize that, you know, that, you know, historically speaking, it's just hard to close a hospital down. The government won't let it happen. So they'll keep bailing them out. And, and this is nothing personal against the hospitals. I'm not saying they don't do a good job or not. I'm just saying that, um, you know, if it was a, if it was a true free market, I think we would see, you know, more, um, just more individuality. And there would have been, you know, some clinics might've decided to not do surgeries. Some might've decided to do surgeries. It would be, it would be all individual. So, um, you yeah, know, and think- a, a, a legitimate business owner, I think if you're sitting on $3 billion in investments for your company, you might, you're probably, I, mean, I, th- I think a lot more business owners are inclined to say, you know what? Times are bad right now, but I'm going to keep my staff. A lot of are that they've built for years and years based on overcharging patients. They want to have that money because that is what gives them leverage to borrow more money and have great, a great credit rating for them to build and expand and uh, do more things to uh, make lots, lots more money in the future. 
Yeah, and realize some of the some of the way they get these money this money too is through their rural health designation, and they get paid mil you know depending on the size of the hospital millions and millions of dollars um, for their their rural health designation. Um, and really what it allows them to do is it allows them to keep their monopoly in their, in their local community and, and independent physicians can't, can't really compete because a lot of times they can't get that same funding from that government source. And they've got big lobby groups that, that make sure they keep their rural health designation, even if the community is not rural anymore. It, it, it's, it's yeah. amazing how that works out. So the, the going forward, what is I see happening is that, the frontline healthcare workers are going to be used as political tools to for more government spending, more bailouts of the big hospital systems. Just like, you know, the education establishment and higher, higher education are constantly say, talking about, you know, teachers, they use teachers as that, you know, we need to give teachers more pay and, and to raise your taxes in your local state, which then most of that money ends up going to the administrators of, of the education system. I see the uh, political system, the, the politicians on both sides possibly really using uh, nurses and doctors saying that, look at all these nurses and doctors that have been furloughed during this. We need to have more bailouts. And is, is that going to help the doctors and the nurses? Probably not as much as it's going to help the CEOs and the administrators of those big hospital systems. Absolutely. And you see it a lot. I mean, I, I talked to oh, a handful of doctors and a handful of nurses and other healthcare professionals that, you know, they don't believe what their big clinic is doing in the lockdown or, or what the hospital is doing, but they have to play along because they work there. And it's really sad that doctors you know, go to medical school for a long time, pay a lot of money to get educated, and they go to work for, an, for a system and they literally become slaves. They're servants. They can't, they, they can't individually decide a lot of times um, even how the care of the patient. They get in trouble for the care of the patient. And of course, if they speak out politically, then they're in big trouble. And it's, it's really, really sad to see it. I hope what this pandemic has done is it liberates a lot of physicians to say, I'm done with this. I'm going to do yeah. something myself. And, and direct primary care, even if it's not primary care, there's a lot of specialists too, like you say, with surgery centers and um, endocrinologists and, and uh, many different specialists that are going on their own now because there, there's a market for it because patients are tired of it too. Patients are not getting the care they deserve when they go to a, you know, a big hospital system or a big clinic system where they have to wait for appointments and multiple specialists every time they go in the office for something that that's simple and can be treated by a primary care provider. Yeah. I guess I would also add maybe some optimism. I'm not in favor of using, uh, using the government to bully people or to force anyone to do anything, even the big hospitals. Uh, you know, we have always advocated for free market uh, for the free market to drive transparency more, more than having a top down edict from the government to, demand transparency. I think, you know, the, the patients in the marketplace should always would normally demand transparency if, if the structure is not so already so regulated, <clears throat> but you know, as we saw the um, executive order from Donald Trump last year on price transparency, he got massive pushback from the hospital suing over that saying, well, we, there's no way we can do that. 
Um, what we're seeing now, and, and I think uh, Trump talked about this just a day or two ago, <clears throat> saying that now, you know, we need to have more. He mentioned this price transparency again. <clears throat> I think what he's going to do is he's going to use this as leverage for him uh, to to push for more price transparency. And maybe that's a good thing as much as, you know, I don't like necessarily the method, the result might be, a, a could be a great thing to say that the next round of these uh, COVID-19 bailouts, there will be some sort of requirement that you uh, have more transparency. And, and maybe that is the impetus to drive things more toward a free market. I'm just trying to have some optimism here. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm with you. I, <laughs> I'm not optimistic in government, and I and I definitely right. don't like government mandating anything. Mm -hmm. But and, and that's one of the reasons that you know we have you on is because I think the biggest thing that we can do, you know, one of the goals of this radio show and the reason I wrote a book is because I want to educate and empower consumers that they control their own health care. And if we start educating people and, and, and the Free Market Medical Association and all their, all their um, healthcare providers that are members are part of it, we start educating people and those providers that healthcare is shoppable. It's a, it is a commodity like anything else. And I get it. I, I get it. I mean, there's people out there that are going to say, Sean, it is not a commodity like anything else. People die without healthcare. I get that. But people die without food too. And we let people choose what food they get to buy, at least for now. Now, you know, there's some scares in it in there when we talk about the food processing and, and how we, when, when we realize how much control the government has over our food supply that, you know, eventually we might not be able to decide what kind of food we can eat. And that's really scary. So we, we get to decide what kind of car we buy, what color it is. Healthcare should be no different. What kind of price we get to pay. Healthcare should be no different. And when a hospital or a clinic tells you that, oh, we don't know what the price is going to be. It's, it's too complicated. Well, you know, a, a new car is a pretty complicated piece of machinery, but they know exactly what it's going to cost when you go in there to buy it. Yeah. And if you want XYZ option, they know exactly how much more it's going to be. So don't tell me that healthcare is any different. Um, and a perfect example is go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma site. It's amazing the different surgeries that are listed on there, and there's just a price. It, 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 it's, it's incredible. You just don't see that anywhere else. Well, you do now because Dr. Smith has been so out front and in the forefront of that that a lot of clinics are following. But it, it is possible to know how much it's going to be for total knee surgery. It is possible. And then that's all inclusive. No secret bills afterwards, no surprises, no, no add-ons later. It's $6,375, period. Well, it's only comp it is complicated, but it's only complicated because they've made it complicated. <laughs> right. I mean, if if every person going into the grocery store paid a different price for a gallon of milk, the cashier would probably say it's pretty complicated because I'm not, you know, you're trying to get through the line as quickly as possible. <laughs> right. And they don't have time to figure out, you know, what little special deal or contract you belong to, to, to charge you. So that would be the case in anything if everybody paid something different. So the problem is there's no equality in prices. Everyone pays a different price and they made the system, the hospitals and the insurance carriers, and they make, there are a lot of middlemen in the process that make a lot of money on it, on that complexity. It doesn't have to be that complex, but, you know, going back to what, you know, we're talking about 
you know, healthcare workers being furloughed and things. There, there is there is some truth to the idea that there needs to be a complete restructuring of the healthcare system, and those jobs need to be those physicians, nurses, administrators need to be reallocated in a free market way. The biggest problem with you know government control is that resources are misallocated in the wrong direction. So a lot of those, uh, you know, administrators might be unnecessary. Uh, you know, if they need to be doing something else. They need to be working for a, a free market entrepreneurial uh, hospital or facility. And there, there, there would be jobs available in healthcare for those people that might not necessarily be in that big hospital where, where they were working. So I think the other thing we need to push is, is for more deregulation on the state level, all these uh, things that were suspended because of the, you know, emergency like certificate of need laws. Uh, we've talked about that quite a bit, but, um, those need to be permanently removed so the market can respond. And as these, if, if we allow, allow hospitals to fail, I, I think hospitals should be able to fail the same as a, as a airline should be able to fail and be restructured. It's not that, that that service is going to go away. It just means that we need an opportunity for uh, more, effective entrepreneurs to step in and manage those facilities and start new ones to respond yeah, to it. Right. I mean, they could have been just running and probably just running inefficiently and that might've been why they failed. So, I mean, they could definitely restructure not necessarily go out of business, but just restructure right. their, their, their whole business plan. So, yeah. So do, what, do you have anything else to add um, about the free market? Any, any closing words, um, James? Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, few months and years. But, um, you know, I haven't seen anyone recently calling for uh, universe, more um, Medicare for all type things. I, you know, I feel like there's a growing distrust of the establishment in a lot of different areas right now. So maybe we can, you know, extend that to uh, help people realize that you would not want Medicare for all or more government intervention, more government control of healthcare than we already have right now. I mean, if anything, you know, the, the regulations that were in, already in place from the CDC and the FDA slowed down the free market in getting testing done in being able to trust that the tests were accurate. Um, the, personal, the protective equipment that a lot of, you know, my um, healthcare uh, friends, people that were working on the front lines were saying they didn't necessarily have access to. They didn't have access to it primarily because of government regulation and misallocation of those resources where, you know, the places that needed the res those things the most didn't have it. Yeah, that's all I would say is that I feel like there there's a great opportunity right now to um, 
keep educating people on how the free market can work better in, in all areas of life, especially healthcare. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. So, so, well, thank you for being on our podcast today, James, and stay tuned for um, Monday's edition. We're going to have Michelle Murphy. Um, she's a functional medicine clinician, and she's going to be talking about um, cardiovascular deaths in America and how a lot of them are preventable. She is a super, super great resource, and I'm excited to have her on. We'll be streaming live at AM 1470 KBSN in Moses Lake, 1 to 2 p.m., as we do every Monday. And next Thursday, our Thursday edition of this podcast at 8 a.m., will be, we'll be talking about, is cholesterol bad? So do you take a cholesterol medication? Um, you want to tune in because you might learn some things. So we appreciate you being on today, James. And that concludes our episode today. And we thank you all for listening.